Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Shay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week I talked to Chris Fanning, CEO of KPA, about the five habits of highly effective safety cultures. And now, on to the interview. All right, I'm joined today by Chris Fanning, who's CEO of KPA. Uh, we're going to talk about the five habits of highly effective safety cultures. Um, but welcome, uh, Chris, to the show. Thanks for having me, Jay. Thanks for being here. Um, and I guess before we get started, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, KPA? Sure. So I am a New England native. I've worked at KPA as the CEO for the past two and a half years. My background is uh, in technology. I've run a number of software and services company in the past. And KPA was a very interesting opportunity that presented itself. And I'm thrilled to be here with the uh, Great excitement about what's in store for the future at KPA. Excellent. Well, we're talking about uh, the five habits of highly effective safety cultures. So um, why don't you break them down for us? Uh, the first one, I believe, is dedication to a goal to improve employee health and safety. What, uh, what do you sort of see uh, behind this one? Well, it all starts at the top, I think, um, especially in the past two years with, with COVID-19 and the much heightened awareness amongst employees, workplace safety has certainly taken on a new, a, new, uh, a new level of attention, both from employees and employers. And most people think about employee, uh, employee uh, safety as a given, but I think what people are now realizing is that you really like anything within a business that has to be managed and managed from the top, both in commitment and in budget, training, awareness, and metrics. And you really have to have true dedication. It has to be a goal. It has to become part of every company's kind of corporate fabric um, in order to achieve the results that are desired. And I think there's kind of broad consensus that not only is there social good in doing that, but there's, there's economic benefit to the company with the uptime of employees and fewer workers comp claims and just the reputation in the industry in which the company operates. So I, I think it's a good thing. And I think most uh, companies are becoming now focused on how to go about instituting a safety program. And that's where the fun begins because I think there's a lot of education that needs to happen out there in the economy. Sure. Um, and, you know, we've been hearing more and more uh, about companies that set a goal of zero workplace injuries. Um, you know, how realistic is that? And, and you know, does it make sense to, to do that? Is it too lofty a goal? I think it's a, it's a lofty place to start, but I think having a goal is important. And ultimately, that's, that, is, that is kind of the place you want to be. That's utopia, if you will. Mm. Depends on the business, right? If you're a heavy manufacturing steel mill, Let's say I think zero, you know, zero injuries is, is probably a lofty goal, but it's an admirable goal in that if the goal is zero, it really forces you to think about how you would have an environment uh, with zero workplace injuries and what are the safeguards that need to be put in, what are the training that need to be put in. And I think that helps a company frame the, the investments that are required the cultural changes that need to be uh, implemented, and then just kind of level setting expectations that if, if zero is the goal, then every incident is treated 
as a bad event, an undesirable event, and there's a root cause analysis and the requisite action that comes from it. I think that's always the right way to, to kind of manage your business. I mean, has, I know, you know, many companies have actually set that goal. Has anybody, have you heard of anybody actually achieving it? Uh, we have had customers achieve that. I'd say in a, in a lighter environment where, you know, like the steel mill example would be a, I've never heard of a steel mill right. zero incidents, but you will have you know, more white collar workplaces or light service environments mm. um, where you have seen the occasional year where someone gets through without an incident, which is, you know, it's just pretty amazing. It's rare. But again, I think having that, that goal of zero or, or whatever, whatever makes sense for each uh, company. I think you start with something that might be a little bit of a stretch because it does force people to really think hard about how to get there. And that's, that's really the journey you want companies to be on is, you know, we might not truly expect zero, but if that's the goal, how do we get there? And you might get there, you know, you might get close to it and you might get certainly close to it much sooner than if you start off with a, let's just improve things by 10% type of a goal. Right, right. Very, very incremental. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the second habit, which is um, adherence to a safety policy within the company and supply chain. Um, what's involved there? Well, one is setting up metrics. You know, what are the metrics that you're going to use? Incidents is obviously one. Uh, training frequency, training load would be another example. So you really want to set, you know, kind of clear metrics that the management team is engaged with reviewing with some type of an expected cadence and then how do you measure against those metrics how do you report not just to the management team but to the entire company like how do you make transparent how well or poorly your company is doing against these goals and yeah i could make an argument that's true of any program at a company but i think with safety where a lot of companies are instituting safety programs for the first time. I think having the transparency, whether it's good or bad news, is really important because it just demonstrates it's important, we're gonna measure, we're expecting progress, we'll take corrective action when warranted. I think that ultimately kind of creates the culture of safety that you wanna have in the end. Um, as far as policies go, uh, how would you recommend a company sort of, you know, either review their policies and make sure that they're appropriate um you know should they bring in outside help to kind of uh you know kind of evaluate and sort of say all right this is what you're missing out on uh that kind of stuff yeah i i think in the end if you especially if you're starting off uh, having little to nothing in terms of a safety program i, I think the best way to begin it is to get outside help because you, you need expertise you want somebody who's kind of been there, done that, has the has the experience, and can offer not just a program and a plan on how to execute, but also some just practical advice. Uh, you know, I, like at KPA, we we serve over twelve thousand clients, just to give you a sense of scale, and we see different companies from different industries all the time. And what we try to do, we try to offer our years of experience. Um, and keeping up with the regulatory environment and just our practical experience of having worked with so many clients. And 
in letting someone know like, look, this is the ideal program, but maybe in year one, month one, start here. And this is then how you go forward and, and build upon that from a, you know, from a baseline of success. You want people to, to enjoy success early because that just re, reinforces, you know, the, the, um, you know, the program itself and, and it helps the change management within a company and you set them on their way to a, having an instituted safety policy. And, and once you have a, a good policy in place, how do you sort of follow up on it and make sure that people are actually, you know, following the policy? Discipline, I think, uh, is one, which, which kind of lends itself to how do, you, how do you track against those metrics and how do you report out against those metrics? And in cases, let's say, in, in where training is involved, how do you know when someone has actually completed their training courses or hasn't? and giving them the requisite reminders. And I think that's where you want to digitize the program. You have a digitized training in a digitized environmental health and safety. You know, the software systems out there, we, we certainly have our products that can help digitize the process and allow somebody to very quickly identify, um, you know, if you're on track or not on track, if there's an incident at work to collect that information and to do it in a manner that can allow someone to kind of pull back and evaluate trends, for example, and, uh, and, and take a look at corrective actions and patterns that might be developing within a company and some of the proactive measures that you might be able to take that can whittle down your, your probability of an incident um, in the future. And doing that by hand on, ex, you know, on Excel spreadsheets, post-it notes, a, a lot of different manual ways that people we've seen do. That, that has to stop. And I think the way to do it is you just, you, you go out there, you get expert help and you get a digital system um, and implement it and give access to all your employees. All right, so uh, habit number three is support for the EHS team. Um, how important is, is, you know, really providing that, that team with support uh, to, to, you know, get their goals accomplished? It's critical. If, if you're hiring, a safety professional to come in and implement a, a program, I think just like any other function in your company, whether it's sales and marketing or product development, I mean, if you're not bringing in the right expertise and if you're not funding it to an appropriate level and you're not giving it the management you know, time and, and again, uh, discipline of making sure that it's always one of the items that is frequently discussed and enforced within your company or you're setting yourself up for failure you really are so the support both financial and culturally is is critical to a successful safety program uh does it feel like companies are taking this more seriously now than maybe they used to in terms of you know maybe they would have a team but sort of just you know almost like in name only, but didn't not really back it. But now it seems like, you know, certainly we're hearing more people talking about uh, EHS and, and the importance of it. So are you seeing that kind of being reflected in, in just, you know, support from uh, from the top down? Yes, definitely. I, th I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and, and maybe uh, years ago was a little bit more of a talking point mm. than a, a real concerted effort. And I think with, with COVID, having raised the profile of workplace safety, I, I do think 
you're seeing uh, a lot of small mid-sized businesses uh, starting to put their money their money where their mouth is if you will you're seeing some real commitment and i think what you're also seeing is people want to do something they're ready to you know they're ready with the budget they're ready with their commitment and now the question is so what do we do and that's that i think is going to be very interesting dynamic over the next few years because the market um the environmental health and safety market is a pretty fragmented market you've got you know, a lot of training companies that don't have true ehs expertise you have consulting firms that don't have digital solutions you've got software startups uh, without safety experience or expertise and you have all these different constituencies out there offering help and you have a lot of uh, small mid-sized businesses and some enterprise type companies looking to implement something and not quite knowing how to navigate the you know the different vendors out there and, and who to pick and how do you decide you know one and the other so it's, a, it's a, there's an opportunity in the marketplace and if i were a company looking for advice i think people like yourself providing information and perhaps uh, an approach for how to go tackle some of that information inefficiency is is very helpful what about um support uh sort of you know for the ehs team when they're dealing with employees who maybe resist these efforts, uh, you know, don't want to follow, you know, the policy that's been set, you know, how important is kind of that kind of support, that kind of backing, uh, you know, from leadership when you're, when you're dealing with some resistance? Sure. I, 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 that's always touchy, right? I am the CEO of a company. I at times have to deal with that dynamic myself. I think whenever you're implementing something new, you've got to make the goals, pretty clear you have to explain why it's beneficial to the employees for following the new program the new policy and then you need to have the discipline the follow-up and the communication to show how you're doing against those goals you know the progress and then the benefits like if you can demonstrate i think to the employee base that by by taking training by following certain safety protocols you know, the number of workplace incidents, for example, has decreased. I think that starts to make your point. You're, you're always going to have a few employees who will just resist, unfortunately, to the bitter end. And then you just have to make a decision. Is this going to be a hard and fast policy? Or are you going to allow uh, some employees to not follow along? I think that's a decision that every business needs to make on its own. At, at some point, though, you probably do need to kind of be black or white because if you don't have everyone on board, it's kind of tough to keep the discipline going and to really get down to you know that zero workplace injury goal that so many people aspire to. Right, you can't have two sets of rules, right? Correct. Um, all right, let's move on to habit number four, which is formalized health and safety training for executives or key employees. Um, what goes into uh, to this one? Well, training, like any area in the company, is is very important to communicating. You know what people should be aware of, how you want them to behave at the workplace, in you know, with respect to a health and safety program. So, setting up a training curriculum, being able to deliver that in a very efficient and effective manner, and tracking it 
so that the management team is ensured that all employees have successfully completed their training curriculum is really, really uh, key to instituting any type of a uh, EHS program. And we see this all the time. I, I think having online training, where you have a learning management system, you can deploy um, different curriculum based on the roles within a company, you know, maybe a, a worker who's on a line and a manufacturer who deals with heavy equipment, might deal with forklifts, you know, different types of equipment, you can actually have more specialized training, whereas somebody who is a, maybe someone who works in the accounting department who might not ever walk the, uh, the manufacturing floor, they still need to know how to behave safely at the workplace itself, you know, maybe coming into the facility and walking about, reporting incidents, that type of thing. And that's where online training through a learning management system is really, I think, a, a great investment for companies. You, we see this all the time through our clients, just having the ability to, to take very relevant training content. Um, in our example, we, we actually film a lot of video on site at our clients. We actually like literally go through manufacturing, steel mills, auto dealerships. We'll show real live instances. We'll do animation for those uh, for those safety events that are particularly dangerous, where you obviously don't want to recreate. And you put that content together, and then and then the company who buys the system can kind of configure the types of people within their company, you know, they can create basically different curriculum. So if you're a line worker, you're gonna take curriculum A. If you're a back office employee, you're gonna take curriculum B. There can be overlap, of course, between the curriculum. And it really becomes the decision of the company to decide how they wanna use, you know, the hundreds of modules that we, we might offer. And it really allows people the flexibility to create the training that they believe is, is most necessary, and then to be able to track it. And of right. course, employees can take it whenever they've been allowed time. They can do that on their phones, they can do it on their laptops, they can do it from their homes, they can do it on, at the workplace, you know, whatever, whatever the situation calls for. That's been, I think, a huge enabler for companies trying to implement health and safety training in the past few years. And training's kind of moved beyond, you know, where it used to be, where it'd be like, you know, at hire and then maybe like at your, you know, first year, your annual anniversary, you would do do training and then nothing in between. But now with, you know, online learning systems, you know, you can, you can sort of schedule out, you know, ongoing training, correct? Absolutely. You can set up different cadences for sure. You can actually uh, create training events based on workplace incidents. So if I if I know somebody just had a, a fall from a ladder, let's say, and they work, you know, they work in a specific team, that incident could actually trigger the learning management system to require everyone in that team to take a refresher course in fall prevention. So you can really you can really use some of the intelligence that's built into a learning management system to be more preventative in nature versus the approach, as you said, a lot of companies would be more time-based, it'd be more annual. The way we like to do it, the way we suggest uh, at KPA is you should have that type of time-based training, but I think just as importantly, it should be really context-specific. So based on your role, 
things that are happening at the workplace, uh, specific employees, um, you know, if they've had a history of issues, you might double up on the training. Um, you can do team-based training. There's a lot of ways you can do it, and it really comes down to the flexibility of the learning management system. Uh, excellent. Uh, and the fifth habit is use of a health and safety management system. Um, you know, how, how important is it to, to, you know, have a full system that you can rely on uh, to, you know, to carry this out? It's, it's critical. I mean, I, I think this will become more and more obvious to people as they try to implement safety programs, health and safety programs, and try to do it, you know, the old-fashioned way with paper and spreadsheets and very, you know, non-tech Mm -hmm. uh, approaches, which which is still quite uh, rampant in in By the U.S., we see it all the time. It's uh, yeah. it's stunning, and I think while some people view you know spending tens of thousands on a on a digital system as a huge cost, I, I think the only way to really implement a, a true health and safety program with the appropriate level of record keeping, the appropriate level of educational resources and just some of the logic-based proactive rules and guidelines that we've been discussing, the, the only way to do that is through a digital system. And I think the, the payback is pretty quick. Um, and I think it's, it's necessary to have. And I think the payback in terms of just your employee utilization, the uptime, you know, fewer accidents, you have more people working more often, uh, you can cut down on your your workers comp claims, you, you probably get an insurance discount of some sort by having a well, uh, a well executed safety program. And then I just think, again, it's, it's the smart thing to do. It's kind of a good way to treat your employees. I think that all adds up to be a pretty great ROI for those who are buying such a system. What, what would you say? I mean, obviously it's a ballpark guess, but like in terms of, you know, businesses in general, like how many have gone to these kinds of systems as opposed to doing it the old fashioned way? Would you say it's more than 50% or is it still kind of a work in progress? Oh, I, th I think if you look at the broad, like let's just take, um, you know, a, a company with 10 or more employees just to pick a number, you're, you probably still see a vast majority of that population without a health and safety management system. And even large companies with several thousand employees, we still see uh, quite a large percentage of those companies without a management system in place. Um, it's, it's really amazing. A lot of the, you know, you get up to the Fortune 1000, let's say, you do see people there who have invested in systems. The problem there is a lot of those systems are antiquated. Mm -hmm. They haven't really considered a lot of the things that we've been discussing. So we see a lot of those companies now almost you know, looking to replace the original system they bought and look for something that has more flexibility, more training built in, more of a holistic solution. So it's a, it really is kind of a, a bit of a wild west out there right now, which, which is for companies like us, it, it certainly opens the door to opportunity to help people out, which is great. And I think as more people look to implement health and safety systems, you know, the premium on information and how to select, you know, system A versus system B uh, becomes pretty, pretty high. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, you know, looking at the, you know, all five habits and sort of all, all that's involved, how long would you say, you know, it would take for a, a business to kind of, you know, follow through and, and carry out all those steps, uh, in, you know, in the right way? Well, I think once you get that decision and commitment from your management team, then I think it's just a function of how quick can you set aside the funds, go out and set some goals, and then find a health and safety management system and, and perhaps an expert advisor to come in house. I, I think if you really make this a priority, we, we see people who within you know a month or two can be up and running, mm -hmm. albeit, albeit early stages, right? You're not gonna go from you know, zero to 102 seconds, but I think you can be up and running in a very short period of time. That, that first year, there's certainly a lot of burn-in, if you will, and it's probably mostly the change management and cultural change that happens within the industry, but knowing what to do, getting the policies in place, getting your system up and you know configured correctly and quickly, and by the way, cheaply, like this, you can do this without spending an arm and a leg. I think that's, that you know that can be months if not weeks um i think the hard part is the cultural change and of mm -hmm. course the bigger the bigger the company the, the bigger the challenge that presents bigger, um, the pay, bigger the payoff too sure sure um so we're sitting here you know uh right before the end of the year um I want to ask you just you know what are some uh sort of things that you're seeing uh, or thinking coming down the road in 2022 as far as EHS goes. So what are some sort of trends that you're uh, looking looking to see? We, 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 we do see a great, great deal of interest out there and people seeking to do some of the things that we've just been discussing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just going to be continued to heighten. I think as COVID hopefully <laughs> calms down, and people feel more at ease getting back into the workplace, I think these programs become even more important. And I think that's why part of the reason why you're seeing a lot more activity of people making decisions because they, they're anticipating a return to the office in some way, shape, or form in, in 2022. Year-end always brings you know, budgetary considerations. So of course, there's a spike um, in interest and inquiries happening as we see, and then at the beginning of the year, you'll see a lot of people who have actually set aside budget to put in some of these programs, then start um, executing and, and looking for people to work with uh, to bring in. And I just think the, one of the trends you're gonna see is employees are gonna increasingly ask questions about the environment they're being asked to work in. And that, that goes from the obvious, like the heavy manufacturing environments to mm -hmm white collar environments where people want to know and understand the types of precautions that the company is taking to improve the environment from a health and safety perspective, maybe ask for the training that hasn't been given before, and a little bit more transparency about some of the corporate policies and practices that ultimately lead to a, a safer workplace. I, I, I think those are trends not only for next year, but I just think those are going to become table stakes for companies as we move ahead into the future. All right. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was great. Well, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right.
That wraps up episode 92 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and happy holidays. Thank you.